Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. Welcome to a rather unique episode of Fearless. It's very rare that my brother Edward and I are in the office at the same time. And today we are actually in my grandfather's office at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And I've asked my brother to join me today on Fearless to discuss a topic that is all on our hearts this week and to share his unique perspective. America will mark the 20th anniversary of 9-11 this Saturday. And I'm sure every one of us remembers exactly where we were on that day. But as the tragedy of the terror attacks unfolded, we were all transfixed on our television screens for days and weeks to come. And after that terrible day, we entered into the war on terror in Afghanistan, the longest war in our country's history. And instead of declaring victory, we've all seen the disastrous fallout in Afghanistan these last few weeks, leaving it exactly the way it was 20 years ago in the hands of the Taliban. And this topic is difficult. And so I'm honored to have my brother Edward here to share his unique perspective on 9-11, Afghanistan, and what Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association are doing in response. And for those who don't know, Edward is my older brother and he served for 16 years in the U.S. Army in Special Operations. He also deployed several combat deployments to Afghanistan and he was recently in the Middle East with Samaritan's Purse offering assistance and supplies to those in need. So Edward, thank you for being here today. Um, thank you for your service all these years and to share your unique perspective today. So let's begin. All right, thank you for having me, Sissy. All of us, like I said, remember exactly where we were. We can remember those moments of watching the planes fly in mm. um, and the towers collapsing. Where were you that day? I was, um, it was my junior at West Point um, because I was not as smart as my classmates. I was a little behind the, the academic curve, so I was headed to physics. You're supposed to be done with physics your sophomore year, but uh, some of us athletes took an extra semester of physics. They, I want to make sure we're really smart at it. But I was walking to physics, and I remember a friend of mine came out and said, you just hear a plane crashed into the World Trade Center. So, you know, I'm playing, I'm thinking like a Cessna. You know, you, you don't know what you walk up. We go in, there's a TV up in the corner of my physics classroom, and we're watching it, you know, billowing out. And I'm like, well, that's not a, that's not a Cessna. A Cessna didn't do that. And we kept watching, and then obviously the second plane then uh, crashes in. And I remember that most of the time we had colonels that were our professors. We had a civilian, and I remember he, he goes up to turn the TV off and says, well, it's time to do physics. And I remember my class, I had a lot of the cross players, and they're from Long Island, New York, several of them were, and they have family members in the, uh, working in the World Trade Center. And when he went to turn it off, they all started yelling. I mean, he didn't understand the gravity of what was happening, uh, but we did. And we knew that America was under attack. And um, a lot of us were angry, frustrated, because um, we felt helpless, powerless. We all wanted to go do something. I think most of America did. But I can remember sitting in physics class watching those. And when I got back to my room, I was watching it on my computer, and that's when they started to crumble. And, uh, you know, then all the reports of 
The other aircraft crashing to the Pentagon, also the field in Pennsylvania, they didn't want us to go eat in the chow hall because that's 4,000 cadets gathered in one place. No one knew what was going on, so the world changed after that point. And for you and your friends and cadets at the greatest military academy in the world, your lives, all of our lives changed that day. Yeah. But for many of us, lives went back to normal after a couple years. Yeah. Y'all's lives, your careers would change forever. Your whole career was defined on this war in Afghanistan. You've raised, you got married, mm -hmm. you've raised your family during this time, you've lost friends. But at that day at West Point, what was the morale? What was the focus? How did it change y'all's viewpoint as cadets? See, unfortunately, I think at West Point that whole time, we were under the, we remember Bosnia, and that was a time going on. The Clinton administration had just switched into the Bush administration, but everything at West Point, they were teaching us peacekeeping operations, which it was a mistake, I believe. You know, the military had its focus on peacekeeping. That's not the role of the military. We're, we're a military machine. We're built for war. And that's why you go to school. We wear camouflage for a reason. And the whole focus of everything that we were there for changed overnight. We knew we were going to war. Now, some we thought we had missed the war because a racket happened my senior year. Rangers jumped in the Afghan. We didn't know, but we were all frustrated because we thought we graduated a year late because we watched people here in front of us jumping into northern Iraq, uh, going into Afghanistan. I mean, boy, was I wrong. I thought I'd missed the war. But yeah, the whole focus went from peacekeeping operations under the Clinton administration to knowing that when we graduated, we were going into combat. And, you know, we've all seen the images over the last three weeks. It's been really difficult um, to watch, just from a civilian's perspective, and knowing what you have sacrificed. When you look at the images, when you heard what was happening, what, what went through your mind? So there's a lot of frustration, hurt, and there's pain, and I understand that. Um, you know, I didn't want to be in Afghanistan forever either. Um, I've lost classmates. As a matter of fact, yesterday was the 16-year anniversary of one of my roommates and best friends, Derek Hines. Uh, he was the hockey captain at West Point. We were close. Uh, D-Rock, we were also, we, we played tennis together. We won the doubles tournament at West Point together. Uh, he got all the low balls, I got the high balls because he was short, I was tall. But, uh, you know, D-Rock died over there. I've lost guys under my command. Um, you know, we put all this time and energy in, and there's Afghans that died too and sacrificed, and uh, good Afghans, especially in our Katehas, who we trained the Afghan Special Operations, the commandos in the Katehas. A lot was invested in this in blood, but I didn't want to be there forever either. Uh, it's just it's not the way to do it. This was a train wreck, and this is a failure of man's leadership. Not just this administration, multiple administrations, multiple uh, commanding generals failed there in Afghanistan. But we all knew this would happen. When they, when they did this troop reduction and they decided not to hold Bagram, you needed Bagram to do a NEO. If you ever had to do a NEO, which is a, a NEO is an acronym, but I'll explain it. If you're going to have to evacuate the embassy um, and get all the U.S. Uh, civilians out, that's what a NEO is. But HKIA, the airport, Hardmi Karzai International Airport that I've lived at before, is too close to the province that you needed Bagram. But when you gave you a certain number of troops, and you said, when, the, when the administration said this is the troop number, well, then you had to give up Bagram. And that kind of forced the military's hands. That was a stupid mistake. And you couldn't secure Afghanistan without it. There was a way to do this. There's, and this is where it's frustrating. We could have had minimal troops on the ground. And here we are, we're on a podcast, but it's called Fearless. 
you have to hunt bad people. You have to go around the world and you have to do this. Uh, it's needed and we have forces that do that. But in order to keep America secure, you need to secure Afghanistan. With the Taliban running it, that's who allowed Al-Qaeda to come through. And now there's ISIS in Afghanistan. Uh, so the same architects that created uh, ISIS in Iraq and allowed for the instability there and pulled out, we knew the Iraqi army would fail. Only the Iraqi special operations were offensive capable, and they're the only ones that went out. But the conventional army, trained by the Marines and the army, failed. Same army in Afghanistan, well, different army, obviously, but the same U.S. military trained that one. We knew it was going to fail. So the architects of the Iraq disaster that gave us ISIS are the same architects of this disaster. Now we're going to have stability again in Afghanistan. Who do you think is coming back? Al-Qaeda, ISIS. ISIS attacked our troops. I knew it was only time before ISIS attacked. And ISIS and, and Taliban hate each other. They've been killing each other for years um, in the Korangal. So it's, you know, this is a man-made mess. It's frustrating. But my hope was never in man. Never was. I knew man would fail. I knew man would mess this up. My hope was always in Jesus Christ. Still is. God's in control. But I pray for a miracle in Afghanistan. We needed to get the innocent out and for peace there. You know, you and I had these discussions for like the last couple of years as people had talked about, you know, the war is going to have to end. We got to somehow, uh, nobody wanted it to be endless. Yeah. What were some key things, and you had ideas, how could we have avoided better what's happened? Because you have so many people in the military who disagreed. Yeah. You had those in leadership who disagree. Yeah. Um, could have all been avoided, or was it the inevitable? Well, you got to understand history in Afghanistan. Afghanistan has never been conquered. And the problem with the West is we view Afghanistan, we don't understand. There's no sense of nationalism there. Uh, that's tribal. And it's a thing we don't understand between the Pashtuns in the south and the tribes in the north. Um, but there's no sense like here in the U.S. where there's a sense of patriotism. Uh, you just don't have that. Now, unfortunately, some of that patriotism is going away here in the U.S. But in Afghanistan, there was a generation of younger Afghans that had wanted peace and had been educated and seen the values that come out of the West, out of America, and the ideals of being the shining city on a hill and everything that America has to provide. Because when you hear people saying that America's broken and is built on a foundation of evil, hmm. tell that to the people hanging on the side of aircrafts trying to flee the Taliban and falling to their death. They want what America has. They want the freedom and security that only America provides and only the U.S. military secures. But once you're there and, you're, and you make that kind of investment, you don't pull the rug underneath it. And you just don't say, you know, you don't tell the enemy what your end date is. You don't tell them what your pullout plan is. Um, and you don't make deals with the devil. And that's exactly what the Taliban is. And I think you're, like, you're talking about making a deal with the devil. And I think when I'm watching the news in the last couple of weeks, and once again, I'm coming from a civilian perspective and you're bringing a whole different one. Huh. It's like, how, are, how is our government thinking they're going to legitimize the Taliban to make deals with them? This is a terrorist group. Why are we even giving them that authority of legitimizing them? Um, so I, you know, I'm not in those conversations, not that I ever was before. You know, in, in previous administrations, I had the fortune of talking, you know, with the president uh, about this. Um, I've, you know, as an aide to the commander of special operations, I was privy to some conversations at the time, but those are dated. 
So I can't talk about now, but just like we were foolish to nation build, we're even more foolish if we think we're going to make deals uh, with the Taliban. Um, when you represent evil and you're everything against what America stands for, if you think you can have a trustworthy partner, I heard a retired three-star general on ABC, and I don't, I don't know his name, never heard of him before, so that's an indicator too. He was an advisor for Trump and, uh, uh, or sorry, an advisor for the Bush administration and Obama. But he says, well, we don't know. This might be a different Taliban. Uh, this might be someone we can work. We don't know yet. Are you kidding me? This is clearly a guy that never was engaged in combat with them. He's never had experience in Afghanistan. You could ask an E-5 sergeant on the ground what the Taliban's going to do, and, and, how, and he would give, give you the right answer. An E-5 sergeant could have told you that the conventional Afghan army would fall. Um, you know what else is an indicator? When you look at all the photos, look at all these photos of the Taliban coming out. Look at the guys holding their fingers on the trigger. They're holding it like this. That's an American taught trait. The guys that are terrorists and everyone that's never been know how to work, they keep their fingers on the trigger. Those are Afghan army that turned and now they're fighting for the Taliban. We trained the Taliban. We trained them, we supplied them, we equipped them. And then we just walk away from it and think we're gonna be able to, now we just created a worse problem for that part of the world. So you're talking about equipping them. Yeah. Of course, we've all seen the images of all the Taliban's new equipment, mm -hmm. US military equipment and the um, helicopters. To me, it, that is, it's a terrifying scene and to see their flags yeah. on the equipment. I don't, I don't understand how that happens. So how did they get our equipment? Why was it not blown up? Why was it not destroyed or sent back? Or so most of our equipment, we got out what we could, what is American equipment. You got to know, we gave, <laughs> we gave billions of dollars worth of equipment to the Afghan government for the Afghan army. And it was falling. We knew it would fall within a month. Anyone within the military that worked knew it would collapse within a month. Anyone that worked with the conventional Afghan army knew it would collapse. So when, unfortunately, when the leadership says they didn't know or they were shocked, either they're lying or they're fools. Anyone that spent time, you can, you, it's clear that the senior leadership never truly spent a day on target, never spent a day in a firefight with these Afghans. Uh, there's some great fighters within the Afghan. Clearly, the Afghan is a nation of war. There's some fighters, but they didn't have the heart of nationalism and fighting for something they believed in, so they just crumbled and fell apart. Um, but all this equipment, I don't know the deal that was made, you know, with the Taliban. I'm not in those circles, you know, in that talk, and nor would I have been in those circles even if given the opportunity because it was a fool's errand. But it was the Afghan government, so when it collapsed, do I think we should have gone back and blown up and had a great bombing campaign? Yeah, but I don't know what the deal was made to keep the airport open in order to get everyone out. There was money paid to the Taliban. I don't know if there was deals and equipment that we won't touch. I don't know. Um, now, the nice thing is we know is that that part of the world, they can't build anything. Um, they don't have the capability. They can't do maintenance worth anything. So all this stuff, anything that's U.S. military, even our guns are high maintenance. They're great, they're great equipment, but it requires maintenance. That's the beauty of Russian stuff. They're, they're not very refined, but they work. And so that's why they had all this old Russian equipment before they could keep it going, you know, piecemeal and stuff. They're not going to be able to do that with the American stuff, especially the aircraft. Uh, could we go back and bomb it? Sure. Why didn't we? I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. I can't tell you what's going through the administration's mind, but all I know, it's 
one of the greatest examples of the failure of man. Never have your hope in man, and this is one of the greatest examples of it. What do you think, in your personal opinion, that is the greatest threat to America now? Well, you know, Satan, evil, but evil's, you know, he's going to move in different ways. So now that we just turned our back on a, tr a partner that trusted us for 20 years and people that invested their lives in us, what if you're Taiwan? You know, what do you think China's going to be doing to manipulating this? You know, what, what if you're in Latvia, Estonia? You don't think the Russians are going to be playing? Oh, they're not good partners. The Kurds. Mm -hmm. I was with the Kurdish leadership not too long ago with the Prime Minister and the President. And they asked me, what's the Kurd administration's view on Kurdistan? Mm -hmm. And this was about two months ago. But I said, well, let's watch what happens in Afghanistan, and that will be your biggest telltale sign. If I was the Kurds, I'd be playing nice with the Iranians. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't trust uh, America right now, and I can't blame them. Uh, we have failed many partners throughout the world, so one of our biggest fears our our prominence in this world, you have to show a sign of strength and you have to be strength. And what we just showed in Afghanistan is complete weakness and cowardice. And we turned our back on our partners and who wants to partner with America. But as frustrated as I am, when I, you just mentioned earlier in the opening that I traveled to the Middle East and I can't say where we were, um, various parts of the world, but we were helping uh, displaced Afghans. Uh, I call them refugees, the State Department's not because it's semantics. Yeah, technically anyone coming out now after we left should be called, they're calling them evacuees. But I was helping them, but what I watched was the U.S. military. Not sleeping, not eating, working diligently in their off time, trying to solve this problem and care for their neighbors. And it gave me encouragement and it gave me uh, renewed hope in the American spirit that we won't fail. No matter what our leaders try to do, people will do the right thing. And I've seen these groups come together, nonprofits, NGOs, people, former military, all working to try to get people out. Um, where there was a gap and a failure in the, in the federal government, they're trying to plug those holes. Just after 9-11, how America rallied, America will rally. So what happened in Afghanistan and the failure of leadership I know is not indicative of the American spirit and a country that God gave us. This country is ordained by God to be that shining light and that bright hope on a hill, regardless of what a few lousy people in D.C. are trying to say it is or do and try to put down on social media. This isn't America. Um, so we've got some rebuilding to do and we've got some trust to earn back. Once you lose trust, as you know, it's hard to earn it back. We've lost a lot of trust in the world right now. And it's my prayer we get the right leadership, men and women up there, that will fight to get that trust back. You know, we've all seen the images of that last plane flying out. What do you think was going through those men's minds when you're leaving people behind yeah. and they know it? They're leaving their equipment behind. They're leaving the people that they fought against in charge. Yeah. That, to me, I get emotional, so I can't imagine what you think was happening on that airplane. I know people on the flight. I know some of them very well. I've talked to a few of them. I know it is emotional. I've heard a lot of stories coming out already, people frustrated. I want to tell you right now, the Marines, the 82nd Airborne, they worked their tails off to get as much and as many out as they could. 
Um, there were so many people that invested. I know some that spent years in Afghanistan were on that flight. They didn't want it to end like that. We don't want to keep being there. We love America. We want to be home with our families. I never wanted to be over there, but I always told, because Dad always asked me to get out, you know, and he wanted help at Samaritan. And I always told him, no, I, I couldn't get out until A, it was cold. But I thought I was called to the military, and also I told him I didn't want to get out until the war was over. And he's like, Edward, it'll never be over. And I was like, then I might never get out. These, I had a lot of like-minded friends. So I can't speak for them, but I can see how I would have felt. I would have been hurt, scared, not because of my own life, but scared for Afghanistan, the innocent there that are left behind. I would have been praying for them, and that's not how I would want to exfil. But I would tell those members of the 82nd Airborne, the Marine Corps, especially those, because there's a lot that lost their friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, hold your head high. You made America proud. I'm proud of them. Wish I could have been there to help them. But uh, I want to be proud of the work they did. They fought, I mean, they got so many out there. It is an incredible, it'll be known in history as a, the greatest air bridge to get people to freedom. Um, it's not their fault, you know, that it got put in that time scope or that situation. Um, but they made me proud. Edward, you know, we're marking the 20, 20 years of 9-11. And this has been a hard conversation. There's been a lot of hard things to digest and um, comprehend of what's progressed over the last few weeks. But there are some good things hmm. through now. We did have some victories. What are some of those that we look back over the years that we can celebrate that we've done? So, so you look, you know, post 9-11, that was a, a horrible attack that just gripped the whole country. And uh, we were unified for a little while. You know, one thing that came out of there, it's just even after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, where even the Japanese admiral knew that he'd, we'd woken a sleeping giant. And the terrorist woke a sleeping giant. We've got a lot of internal politics um, that would be, try to be contrary to what America, the foundation, what America's been built on. And they've, they've grown in voice. Uh, I don't think they've really grown in size and numbers, but because of social media, they've gotten a platform to spew their hate on America. But I think as the church, and as a body of Christ, I hope we're more unified than ever against evil. Mm -hmm. um, I look at what the American military has provided. Um, whether we should have gone to Iraq or not, you know, I have my personal opinions on that, and I have my personal opinions on how we should have prosecuted in the war in Afghanistan. I do believe we should have gone into Afghanistan and gone after bin Laden and hunt and killed him into all ends of the earth to include Pakistan, which we finally did. But we knew where most we knew who was hiding them. Um, so if anything, the American military, though, provided safety and security for the population back here. The fact that we are so uh, at each other's throats on social media and politically, well, we have that luxury because we haven't been at war. We haven't been attacked again. And I think had we been attacked again, it would have been a different story. And I don't want to be attacked again. But the, the fact that we can be that nasty to one another mm -hmm. and that this country could still thrive economically in what we've done and how we've even been able to be so polar opposite politically, it's because the American military provided, you know, you hear the saying, the blanket of freedom. Um, America hasn't been attacked mm -hmm. like that again um, by a terrorist storm. They put Al-Qaeda on the run and decommissioned it. Is Al-Qaeda still, now I've heard the president say that Al-Qaeda is done. That would be false. 
Al-Qaeda is very much alive, but they were completely hacked off at the knees, back, arms. Um, they were completely handicapped um, from being able to attack the U.S. And that's because of the American military might and particularly the special operations that hunted and dismantled the network. You were talking about just the divisiveness in this country, and you're exactly right. We're able to be divided because we have the freedom to do so. Yeah. And um, I do think seeing the images come out of our military and what those men and women did this last month, you were reminded of the heart of America, yeah. the service, the heart of uh, serving and serving yeah. this world. And we're so thankful and so thankful for your service. And we do at um, Samaritan's Purse um, have a, a program called Operation Heal Our Patriots, yeah. serving many of these families that um, have sacrificed greatly in this war. Um, so Samaritan's Purse is serving our veterans, but what is Samaritan's Purse doing right now for uh, those in need? Uh, how can people get involved or how could they be praying facing the need right now in the Middle East? So again, I can't go into great detail uh, at this moment. That may change later on, but we're in several areas uh, working with partnership, um, serving directly those coming out. Uh, so we are, are helping medically. A lot of women and children were coming off these flights. Uh, early flights, children were dying because they were the, that first mass exodus, they'd been out there all day, you saw the panic, they left dehydrated, and children died of dehydration mm. coming off the flight. Uh, a, a woman gave birth and died there on the tarmac because of the heat. It just, there wasn't a plan. And so we're going in and helping um, to love on our neighbor. This is exactly what the Samaritan does cross the street, go to the person in the ditch. You know, we're American, they're Afghan. You know, the one was a Samaritan, one was a Jew. It's the same story. And that's exactly what God commands us to do. And so we're going and serving medically, but also helping the children, uh, children program, children's safety. A lot of children are, um, there were some without uh, parents um, or with only one parent. Uh, so we're helping that. We're also... Uh, working with district, they, they left with no bags now because of the attack, the suicide attack. They wouldn't let them bring out clothes, so they're going to areas now where it's cold already. Um, you may think it's summer, but where some of these are going, are, it's cold. And so we have uh, winter clothing. We're providing clothes, so when they come off the plane, they'll have a hygiene kit, a set of clothing, and then helping with uh, the feeding programs as well. So there's many ways that Samaritan is helping in several locations. We've been asked to take over another location as well, which we're doing. Uh, so be praying for that. But if you're interested, you can go to Samaritan's Purse website. Again, I just I have to be quiet how we're doing this. I think some will come out later that we can talk to our donors about. But right now, um, this is the best way to give access, I think, to, to help those that are hurting. I would, uh, on September 11th, this uh, country will remember yeah. what happened. But And it's a hard day for us Americans. But September 11th is also, in our family, a day of celebration. It is your birthday. Yeah, my birthday. <laughs> I always tell people I was born to hunt terrorists. I don't know if we're supposed to say that on a Christian program. but So I know on September 11th when that happened and you were at West Point and your life was going to be defined by this war on terror, mm -hmm. that God had his hand on your life mm -hmm. because you've been my protector my whole life. Um, for those who are listening, Edward prayed for years for a little sister, and then he finally, um, I came along. 
years later. And he would scare them. the power of prayer. If you pray for it and it's God's will, it comes true. So be so careful what, be you, careful pray what you pray for. So, but um, when you were there at West Point, yeah. I knew God's hand was on you because he was going to have a special plan. Okay. And then when you've decided to come work with the rest of us family in ministry and to assist dad and work alongside dad and to see this last um, month of how God has continued to use you, his hand is using you, and um, we're thankful, thankful for your service these years, the sacrifice you and your friends have made, that your family and Christy, it's Christy's birthday this week too, yeah. y'all have made great sacrifices, and we're so thankful, and so to end this difficult episode on a positive note, happy birthday, Thanks. and I love you, and thank you for joining me on Fearless. I love you too, Susie, thank you for this opportunity, I appreciate it. If you would like to know more about Edward's story and his military career and how he felt God was calling him to leave the military to come serve alongside my father, you could listen to episode 35 of Fearless when I interviewed him. And I know with the recent events that we have faced this year and that our country continues to face, many of you are fearful and anxious. But I want you to remember that God is sovereign. God is in control. None of this takes God by surprise. But if you are struggling with the anniversary of September 11th and the current conditions of things we're facing, I wanna encourage you, you can reach out to the Billy Graham prayer line where there is somebody there to talk to you, to listen to you, and to pray. And that number is 888-388-2683. Thank you for joining me and Edward on this unique episode of Fearless.